So I would invite you to stand as we hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Hear now the word of the living God. And when Jesus was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth, lighteneth out the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But in the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And He that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. One shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. They answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we do come before thy presence this morning. We seek the wisdom and the understanding of your spirit as we Consider these things before us this morning. We ask that you would give us insight, that you would apply thy word to our souls. And Lord, we pray that under the preaching of thy word today, that you would convict sinners, that you would call men and women unto Christ. And we pray that as your word is brought this day, that you would speak powerfully through me, thy servant, and that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that would receive thy word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
Please be seated. I understand that there are some every week who read the appointed scripture text before the service. And so I'm sure those that have already read ahead know exactly what the pastor is going to preach on. (laughs) This is perhaps one of the most difficult texts I've preached. And one of the most difficult texts in all of Luke's account of the gospel. And the reason perhaps it is so difficult is because there's so many misconceptions about the kingdom of God. I remember as a young believer, I was raised in a Roman Catholic home, was uh, preparing to go off to the priesthood and had applied, and, and uh, that's a whole other story. But as God in his great mercy intervened in my life and saved my soul, I was not at that point in my early Christian life that I stood many, understood many things. So what I did was one day there was a film put out by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association called A Thief in the Night. And so I went to that movie theater like everybody else. It was crowded. And I heard from that movie these verses... From verse 35 and 36, two women shall be taken, one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. And it was promoting this false doctrine of some being left upon the earth when the Lord returns secretly in some rapture. And it took me a few years to work through that and finally I understand understood more fully the baseless things of that notion. And yet as we come to this passage of Scripture, we come, as many people do, with some of those preconceived notions of what the kingdom of God is like. What will it be like? What will happen? What will happen in the next number of years? People are predicting all kinds of things that are going to happen in the next few years. And yet the question remains this morning, where is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom of God? And so as we come to this text, I would, bear, I would ask that you bear with me patiently as we work through these things, because some of these things will be new, and some of these things might cause you to think, what is that pastor thinking? But as we look at this text, you have the outline in front of you, if you are following the outline. We see here in this text of Scripture some of the misconceptions that even the Pharisees and the apostles and the people of Jesus' day had regarding the kingdom of God. And so it shouldn't be a mystery to us because those misconceptions were present in that day. So verses 20 and 21, Jesus addresses the Pharisees. Now, it seems as if Jesus is going back and forth. He's talking to the crowds, then he's talking to the disciples, and then he's talking to the Pharisees. And some skeptics and critics love to argue that point. But remember, Luke is covering a lot of ground. And as he is teaching the crowds, as he's teaching the disciples, guess who's standing there? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, those Men of Israel who had not the hearts of shepherds for the people. And so as Jesus has continued teaching 
about beware of offending others, of taking heed that you forgive and confess your faults to each other, as he is reminding them of the need for the increase of faith. And then as he gives this wonderful testimony of these lepers that were cleansed, Pharisees were right there. And so they ask a very pointed question. It's a fair question to ask. Notice that they didn't ask it. It's not a question. The text says they demanded of him answers. When will the kingdom of God come? When is it coming? That is really the question that's asked there in Acts chapter 1. In the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, when those apostles are gathered together, and when they had seen many things, and the apostles asked Jesus in that day, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now verse 6 of Acts chapter 1 is an important truth. Will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And so that's important to understand as we come to this text. Because these uh, misconceptions are all over the place. And so Jesus addresses their question directly. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall people say, lo, here's the kingdom, there's the kingdom. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now this is troubling because he begins to address the Pharisees and the scribes regarding the kingdom of God. And he says two things about the kingdom of God. That it doesn't come with observation and yet it comes within you. And so he's dealing with some of these misconceptions regarding the kingdom he says there in verse 20 that the kingdom of God does not come with observation. The scribes and Pharisees be- believed that the kingdom of God was coming. They believed that under the um, ministry of the Messiah, which they saw prophesied in the Old Testament, they saw the Messiah coming with the intent to overthrow the Roman occupation. And so... These Pharisees were looking to Jesus to overthrow the establishment. And you know what? I've known of people like that who call themselves Christians and who want to overthrow the establishment. Well, that was the notion here. The Pharisees believed that they were custodians of the kingdom. They believed that they had a handle on the kingdom of God. And so they thought of Jesus as a military leader who would come and who would overthrow the kingdom of of Rome. But there's three things, actually several things that he mentions here as he clears up the misconceptions about the kingdom of God. He first says to them that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. It's not something that the men and women of the earth will be able to observe. He he describes the kingdom of God as a silent entrance that doesn't come with the pomp and splendor 
of the kingdoms of the world. We've seen this already in Luke's gospel that Jesus addresses the kingdom. We see this in Mark when Peter, James, and John's mother was arguing over who was going to sit on the right hand of the Lord and who was going to sit on his left hand in his kingdom that was to come. Jesus gently reminds them that the kingdoms of this world fight. That the kingdoms of this world usurp power and authority. That's what we see in our government today. We don't see godly men who want to to rule rightly. We see godly men who want power, who want splendor, who want all of the trappings of this world. And yet Jesus says you cannot observe the kingdom of God because it doesn't come with the pomp and the splendor of the earthly kingdoms. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is a different kingdom. And here he has in mind that the kingdom of Christ came with the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there in Luke's account of the birth of Christ when he came in the world. The kings gathered and all the the, uh, myriads of kings went to see this Christ. They thought, oh, here's another king. Let's go and see him. And as the Magi came, and they didn't come as three, they came as a multitude. And so as they came to see Christ there in that manger, they were amazed. This is not a king. This is a baby lying in a manger. This is a baby among uh, donkeys and, and, and uh, goats and sheep and all kinds of animals. How can this be the king that we long for? And so Christ came in humility. And so we see the silent entrance of the kingdom. Not by something that can be observed. Oh, there's the kingdom. Oh, there's the kingdom. He says the kingdom of God does not come with observation. But notice what he does say. You cannot say there's the kingdom or here's the kingdom. In fact... He tells them that when someone says there's the kingdom of God, don't listen. When these prophecy teachers tell you that the kingdom is coming, that the Lord Jesus Christ will set up some earthly millennial age when he comes again for a thousand years, that they'll offer sacrifices again. Don't believe that garbage. Because Jesus came in humility. Jesus came as the Messiah's kingdom to establish his rule in the heart's And the souls of men. That's what Jesus means here when he says to these Pharisees. Behold the kingdom of God is within you. He's not speaking of the the Pharisees here. He's just speaking in general that the kingdom of God is among men. Many scholars and commentators argue over that phrase. Is within you. But Jesus simply states that the kingdom will be. That the kingdom will be manifested among the disciples of Christ. That the kingdom of God would be seen in the hearts and the souls of those who are regenerated. Not only is the kingdom of God within you, refers to the the kingdom of the Messiah when he comes to rule in the hearts and souls of men, but it is a kingdom of grace. Remember there in John chapter 3 when that Jew came to Jesus by night 
He was afraid of what the other Jews might think, and so he visits Jesus at night. His name is Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews, so he was very powerful and prominent leader of the Jews. It says he came to Jesus by night and recognizes that no man can do the miracles that he does unless God were with him. What does Jesus say to him? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot what? He cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, wait a minute. Jesus just said that you can't observe the kingdom of God. And yet here he says, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so here he's speaking to Nicodemus about a spiritual birth. He's talking about that kingdom of grace that comes to live in the hearts of men and women. And so here Jesus says the kingdom of God will come among men. The kingdom of God will come among those who are regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice there in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, and we don't have time to go into all the uses of that phrase, the kingdom of God in the New Testament, but it all relates. But there in Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, it says this, For the kingdom of God is not of meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Here Paul says that through Christ's kingdom, that the kingdom will come among men, that the kingdom has to do with the righteousness and peace and joy of sinners that is given By the work of the Holy Spirit. It hasn't anything to do with the things of this world. It has everything to do with that kingdom of grace. And also that kingdom of power. When the scriptures speak of the kingdom of power. It refers to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here he he begins to clear up some of the misconceptions. About the work of the Messiah and the work of the kingdom of God. And so be assured that Jesus clears up some of the same misconceptions that we have. The kingdom of God is not of some future age where where the people will go back and offer the sacrifices that Jesus says are null and void under the new administration. And so here... Jesus speaks to them about those misconceptions regarding the kingdom of God. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees had no understanding of the scriptures. They are the leaders of Israel. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the prophecies. They knew everything that it said about the Lord Jesus Christ, about that messianic age. And yet their eyes were blind. Their ears were deaf. They had no understanding or concept of the kingdom of God. And you see that in their question. The demand of that question shows the arrogance, shows the lack of humility among those who were to be the shepherds of Israel. 
But not only does Jesus clear up the misconceptions among the religious leaders, we see in verses 22 through 25 that he speaks to his own disciples about the kingdom of God being connected to suffering. Oh no, here he goes. Here we have difficulty in the rest of the passage with understanding the interpretation of it. Some of that problem lies in the fact that some of the themes in the Olivet Discourse that are recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and Mark chapter 13 are not found in Luke's version of the Olivet Discourse in Luke chapter 21. But some of them are found here in Luke chapter 17. And so when we talk about harmonizing the gospel accounts, that is, that is the way to see the gospels. But as you harmonize, remember that every gospel writer has recorded different things. And so some of the themes that Matthew and Mark talk about regarding the Olivet Discourse are not even mentioned here in Luke chapter 17. The second thing regarding the uh, difficulty of the interpretation is the sequence of events in Luke chapter 17 do not follow the same sequence of events as Matthew and Mark's account. And that's okay. Some people get all bothered over that. But there's a reason for that. Thirdly, the, th the themes of Luke chapter 17 are unique to Luke's account of the gospel. Remember, and I've mentioned this before, that in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, in that purpose statement, Luke says he writes his own orderly account of events related to Jesus and to his ministry. And so Luke arranges his gospel in the way that he does, but it does not contradict anything that Matthew says, that Mark says, or that John says. Scripture harmonizes well. But as we understand the nature of the kingdom connected to suffering, there in verse 22, Jesus speaks now to his disciples and says, The days will come when ye, that is you as apostles, shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you shall not see it. And they will say unto you, see here, see there, there's the kingdom. He says, don't go after them. Don't follow them. When people tell you about the kingdom, it has to be like this, or it's something way off in the future, don't follow after that. And then he begins to unfold for them what the nature of that kingdom is all about. Here he talks about kingdom associated with suffering. Verse 22 states that he said unto them, The days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. He's referring not to something way off in the future age. He's referring to something within the first century. He's referring to the fact that the days are coming. 
When they will long, that is the apostles who will still be alive, they will be longing for the days of the Son of Man and they will not see it. And then he continues on and states there in verse 24, For as the lightning that lighteneth out one part under heaven shines unto the other part under heaven, so shall the Son of Man be in his day. And so it's all talking about that present day. It's all talking about that first century day. And so he's talking about the fact that just as lightning comes, just as lightning comes suddenly without warning and lights up the heavens, so shall the Son of Man come in his day. And when you go back to verse 22, verse 22 has this phrase, the days will come, or the days of the Son of Man. That phrase, the days of the Son of Man, is used in the Old Testament prophetically to refer to the Messianic Age. The Messianic Age has come. The Messianic Age is not reserved for some future age. The Messianic Age has come. And so the days of the Son of Man, in verse 22, and as Jesus states it in verse 26, As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. Now go back to Daniel chapter 7. Oh, I'm so glad the pastor's going to Daniel. There in Daniel chapter 7, we have a reference to this prophecy that Christ spoke of. That's why we are not just a New Testament church. We believe that both the Old and New Testament are necessary. So we go to the Old Testament to explain some of these things. And so he's saying there in verse 22 that the disciples will see the days of Daniel chapter 7 fulfilled. They will see the days of Daniel chapter 7 fulfilled in their ministry. And so as you look at Daniel chapter 7... The vision of four great beasts representing the kingdoms of the world that will be destroyed by the kingdom of the Son of Man. Verses 9 through 14 of Daniel chapter 7 refer to the Ancient of Days, to the Son of Man. That is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. There in chapter 7, verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ established His kingdom in that day, whose garment was white as snow, whose hair of His head was like pure wool, whose throne was like the fiery flame, His wheels as burning fire. Then verse 11, I beheld then, because of the voice of the great word which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed. And there in the prophecy, we see the ancient of days in verses 13 and 14, taking the kingdoms away from the beast of the earth. All the kingdoms of the world shall become his kingdoms. All the kingdoms of the world shall be dissolved. And then in verses 15 through 28, and you can go back and look at this later, but here we see the interpretation 
of that vision as it is fulfilled. Verse 27, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness and the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is what? An everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey him. And so Jesus there in verse 22 is saying that the disciples will see the fulfillment of Daniel 7 in their day. But it will not come until, verse 25, that this Christ suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And so here Jesus tells his disciples that the kingdom has to do with the suffering and the ministry of Christ. It has particularly to do with the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus began his ministry in Galilee. That covered the first eight chapters. Then he begins that descent to Jerusalem, which takes quite a long time. And so from chapter 9 to chapter 22... Jesus with his disciples is on the way to Jerusalem, which is significant. And as they're on their way to Jerusalem, he speaks to them about the nature of the kingdom. He speaks to them about the citizens of the kingdom and what requirements are to be observed by those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. But he says first, verse 25, but first, this Christ must suffer many things, and here's the key, and be rejected of what? This generation. Now some will read this generation, and they'll do this in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and say, well, it refers to that generation in 1948. Well, how in the world do you get that from the text? Because Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking of the rejection that would come in that generation. And because he suffered, because he was rejected among men, as Isaiah chapter 53 foretells, that he would be rejected of men. He would be a man of sorrows. So the kingdom of God is connected with the coming of Jesus Christ in humility, with the coming of the kingdom of grace in the hearts and souls of men, And with that kingdom of grace and power that is seen not only in his suffering and death, but in his resurrection. And as Jesus is raised from the dead and as he ascends to his Father in glory, we see the kingdom coming not only in grace, but in power. And so as Jesus reminds them of these things, He says that Christ must suffer many things. But then when he refers to the days that they will long to see and will not see it, he refers to the fact that after he departs, what's going to happen to the disciples? They're going to face sorrow. They're going to face suffering. They're going to face even death. Just as Jesus did, because all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so as these things come, Jesus says, You're going to suffer. The people will reject you as they rejected me, just as the Pharisees and scribes were ready to kill him, just as they rejected him. They will reject you. 
And so you must see that the kingdom of God comes with the ministry of Christ, particularly with his suffering and death. And Jesus here is giving them a glimpse into what's going to happen when they go to Jerusalem. Because they'll only be there for, the, for a week for Passover. And then Jesus will be arraigned and tried and put to death. So there's only a short time left. But the kingdom of God is always associated here with the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and with his suffering, with his death and resurrection. But not only do we see the misconceptions, not only do we see the kingdom associated with suffering, but we see a warning that Jesus gives of judgment that is to come. Notice he says that he will suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. But the remainder of the text in verses 26 through 37, Jesus speaks of impending judgment that is to come. Not a judgment way off in the future, but a judgment that would come to Israel. Now this is why this is so important, because Jesus is speaking to the scribes and Pharisees. He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. They rejected him. They ridiculed him. They, they were ready to put him to death before his time. And yet as he faced the, the opposition from the religious leaders, no different in our day, he says that you will face these things, but judgment will come to this generation. Now, we won't talk in this text, because Luke does not bear this out, about the future glory, because there's a present, present aspect to this. It's, it's the already. The kingdom of God is already, and yet not yet. And so there's a future aspect to the kingdom when Christ will return again. But that's not the subject. That is not what Luke is dealing with here. That's why Luke records it the way he does. Because he's focusing on these Pharisees. Judgment is coming to you. Judgment is coming to this Jewish age. And so when the disciples said, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? It won't be. There will be a future day in which the Lord will engraft out of the nation of Israel a remnant according to Romans chapter 10 and 11, but that is not what Luke is talking about. He's talking about judgments coming to you. That's why this is so important. And then he goes into the days of Noah. Notice what he says in verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be, what? In the days of the Son of Man. So shall it be in the Messianic age. So shall it be the time of the first century. And then he recalls what happened in the days of Noah. It doesn't indicate from the text that in the days of Noah, men and women were giving themselves over to all kinds of, of sinful things. It simply says they were doing what we all do. They ate, they drank, they married... They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into that ark. The flood came and destroyed them all. So under that Noahic covenant, it was administered under the, under the covenant of grace, as our confession of faith clearly teaches. But in that 
administration under Noah. What was the sign of the Lord's promise to that generation that received refuge in the ark? It was that sign that is so twisted and perverted by Sodomites today. It is the sign of the rainbow. That as they entered into the ark, and as they found refuge there, seven souls were saved in that ark. Because God wiped out the entirety of the earth with flood. And then he says, I will never destroy the earth again with flood. And then he goes to the days of Lot. They did eat. They drank, just like in the days of Noah. They bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, how did God destroy that city? Not with flood, not with water, but with fire and brimstone. And the end of the text says what verse 28 says, or verse 27 says, and he destroyed them all. Even thus, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. When will he be revealed? In that day. He will be revealed through his suffering, death, and resurrection. Notice verse 31, in that day, not in the future, but in that day, some will be on top of the house. On top of the houses in those days were were places where people lived, where they had their porches. So they will be up on top of their house and they'll have stuff in their house. It says, let him not come down to take it away. He that is in the field, likewise let him not return back. What does that have to do with any of this? Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. This is so important. Lot's wife. When you go back in the Old Testament, she was married to Lot. She enjoyed the blessings, the privileges, and the benefits of being married to this godly man. But she despised these things. And you remember the account? Lot and his wife were living in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the men came and wanted to commit indecent acts with men. And so God was outraged over that. And he told Lot, take your wife and family and get out. I'm going to destroy the city. And as he did, text says, Lot's wife looked back. Why did she look back? She looked back because her heart was in the city. She looked back because her idols were in the city. She looked back because that was where her affections lied. And so as she looked back, what happened? She became a pillar of salt. And so verse 31, verse 29, verse 27, remember Lot's wife. Charles Spurgeon in one of his sermons, I love Charles Spurgeon. I don't agree with everything from Charles Spurgeon, but he has some wonderful wisdom in much of his preaching. But Charles Spurgeon says, 
She was almost out of Sodom and into the city of Zor, which was a refuge city. And yet she perished. She was almost saved, but not quite. She went from lingering and doubting to rebellion. What a warning to the church in our day. We may have lingering doubts, but don't let those lingering doubts lead to rebellion or apostasy. He says the seeds of rebellion lie in the heart of that second glance. The second glance, he says, has the seeds of rebellion. Lot's wife, he says, loved Sodom more than she loved God. She wanted to identify with Sodom. How ironic in our day. Men and women want to identify with the city of Sodom, which God judged for its strange and unnatural lusts. Many people want to identify with many things, but she did not want to identify with her husband. She did not want to identify with his faith. She wanted to identify with the Sodomites. Many whose speech, attitudes, and desires show their identity with the world, not with Christ. Our own world today, even those within the visible church, have identified with the grosser and more heinous sins of Sodom. And what does it do? It leads them farther and farther away from God into rebellion. And Spurgeon says the doom of Lot's wife was terrible. She chose to perish with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. But some chose to perish who have lived among the people of God and have identified with him. So when Jesus says, remember Lot's wife, He's speaking to the Jewish age. This is a picture of warning. It's a picture of judgment because it speaks of the destruction that will come in 70 AD to Jerusalem. It speaks of that day that has been fulfilled when Jesus will come And do away with the Jewish age. He'll do away with the Old Testament sacrificial system. That was only a type and a shadow. He would do away with the temple. He would do away with those types and shadows. Because Christ is the reality. And so when judgment came to Jerusalem in 70 AD. Verse 37 was fulfilled. Where Lord? When shall this judgment come? Where soever you see the bodies, where the eagles gather. It's a picture of how the eagles in first century Palestine would gather over carcasses. In the same way, the eagles would gather over the carcasses of the Israelites who were killed by the judgment of God in the day of 70 AD. But friends, that's not the end of the story. Luke doesn't recall it. Matthew deals with that to some extent in chapter 24 and 25. But there's a day coming in which the the kingdom of God that is not yet 
will be fully realized when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in glory to judge the living and the dead. And when he returns on the final day, it will be much like 70 AD. It will be a day of fierce judgment. It will be a day of the wrath of God poured out upon sinners. But it will be a glorious day for the saints of God. It will be a glorious day for those who are waiting for their Savior, who shall look upon Him whom they have pierced. And friends, these warnings here were not just simply to remind the Pharisees that judgment is coming for, for them. But it's a warning to us that judgment day is coming. So today, we must settle our accounts. We must make certain that our hearts are right with the Lord. And perhaps there's some sitting here this morning who have not made things right. Perhaps there's some here sitting this morning thinking, yeah, everything's okay. Yeah, I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. But the question is, are you ready to face that day of judgment with the certainty that Christ is your Savior? Has He changed your heart and life? Have you made that public testimony of His saving grace? Have you publicly declared? Have you made that profession of faith in Christ? For children who've been baptized, those vows that were made are your vows that you need to make as well. And so, Jesus says that whoever will seek to save his life in that day shall lose it. And there will be many when the Lord Jesus Christ returns who will lose their life because they've not heeded the warning, because they have not heeded that warning in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Oh, let it never be said of us that we looked back and perished because we were not prepared. Let it never be said of us that we look back and all oh, the pleasures of sin. Oh, oh. The pleasures of sin last only for a season. The judgment day is coming. Friends, this might be a stark warning, but there's also the promise of the gospel that those who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will never cast away. Those who come to him in faith and cling to him and desire to follow him, they will not be in that judgment. Christ will reward them, but they will not be judged and punished for their wickedness, but they will be rewarded because of their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus here teaches us finally that no man, no woman who puts their hand to the plow as if they're ready to plow ahead and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And if you've got a plow and you're plowing forward in your field, what happens when you look back? You've made a mess of things. You haven't plowed your field properly. And so every time we plow and press forward in the kingdom of God and we look back to those things that Lot's wife looked back to, then we shall perish. 
But friends, do not look back to the world. Do not look back to those old friends. Do not look back to those old desires. But look to Christ and follow Him. And those who follow Him will never be disappointed. Those who follow Christ will have rewards far beyond this life. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we do give Thee thanks this morning that Your kingdom has come. That Your kingdom rules in the hearts and souls of men and women. That Your kingdom comes gradually. That we see Your kingdom advancing throughout all the nations of the earth until Christ returns to gather His elect from all the races and tribes and nations of the earth. Lord God, we see the critical days here the life of Christ, but we see critical days coming for those who are not ready for that day of judgment. Lord, we pray that as we consider these things that you would cause us to think about Lot's wife, that you would cause us to look ahead and not to look back, to see that we are called to serve Christ and to follow him. I pray that today you would convict Sinners, under the preaching of thy word, I pray that you would convict the saints to be more diligent and more faithful in their duty to Christ. We give thee thanks, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom has come. We thank you for that day that is yet to come when we shall see the consummation when Christ returns as the reigning king. We give thee all glory, honor, and praise in his name and for his sake. Amen.